Hello and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. I release new episodes every second Monday. Please subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you want to be in touch with me, you can do that via Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound Moment page on Facebook, and you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. The show will always be free to download and listen to, but if you do want to support me with the costs of production and hosting, you can make monthly or one-off donations at patreon.com slash soundofthemoment. Thank you so much to those of you who already donate. This is episode number 46 for the 5th of August 2019. I am currently recording this intro and outro away from my regular equipment, so that is why it might sound a bit different than usual. My guest is violinist and composer Mieta van der Weyting. Her debut album is entitled De Goût, and before our conversation, here is a track from said album. This one is called Vierdach. Violinist and composer Mieta van der Weetering is my guest today. Mieta, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I always like to begin by asking my guests to kind of give a general introduction to themselves for people who aren't aware of you and your work. Uh, tell me a bit about who you are, what you do, your background and that kind of general stuff. Mm, I'm a violinist and a composer, as you said. Mm. I studied music technology, so I also produce music. Um, I always had difficulties uh, choosing between film and music and in the end 
I flipped a coin, like literally. <laughs> I flipped a coin. Okay. <laughs> Did <laughs> you do then, the thing where you flip the coin and if you're disappointed with the result, you take the other result? Um, I'm not allowed to say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it turned out to be music and I was very happy I did because uh, when you make music, you're able to do everything. You're, you can be very autonomous. Whereas if you would make uh, a movie, you would be either the screenwriter or the the boom operator or the director or whatever, but you wouldn't be, yeah, in general, you won't be able to make an entire movie on your own. Mm -hmm. And if you make music, you are able to both compose and record and mix and all that. So you can have an end result, which is entirely your own effort. So music it is. Yeah. And um, I started as a classical player, of course, because I play violin. <laughs> and then when I was 15, I saw this gypsy band. And before that, honestly, I had no clue you could play anything else on a violin. Mm. So I thought, oh my God, if this is possible, suddenly everything became possible. And then I found out you could also play Latin music and Balkan music and jazz and all those things. And um, I was sold. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I decided to study music technology afterwards. I graduated in composition and I've been writing a lot of string arrangements for people and um, music for commercials and this kind of things. And I perform a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to get to... Uh, you released a record um, actually a couple of years ago now. Yeah, two years and ago. I, I want to get to that in a second. But before... Um, I mean, just I didn't realize that you had studied music technology before I like did a bit of research into you for this interview. Mm. Um, I I'm interested in that. I mean, obviously, you've kind of touched upon the notion of do it yourself. Nowadays, it's possible for me to be the person who is doing both the composing and the producing and the mixing and all of that stuff. Um, I wonder what, like, how how did you decide to go into studying music technology specifically? Like, was there always a sense of those two worlds being connected to you and that you you always wanted that notion of I can kind of do everything myself and and or like yeah what was the decision to to study that rather than just like the traditional I'm just going to go to the conservatory and do violin and, mm -hmm. and um. um well I was always writing stuff and recording it very um like on a tape recorder mm -hmm. <laughs> back in the days <laughs> yeah and uh, I wanted to upgrade that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so I did. I don't know if it's an upgrade, but I know. <laughs> yeah. I still like the old tape desk. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I did. I um, If you compose music, you decide which notes, like the pitch, the velocity, this kind of things, the dynamics, whatever, these kind of things you can write down in a score, but you cannot really write down all sounds. I mean, you can get close describing things, but with music technology, you can alter the sounds. So you can also make sound compositions. And that's a, a large part of what I like about composing, thinking about how things should sound. Mm -hmm. So uh, apart, uh, besides the normal violin, I also own an electric violin and a pedal board, which I use a lot. And I used to freak out with Ableton and Max for Live and build my own effects like yeah. FFT bullshit. 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. FFT bullshit yes. um, for the fans of Fast Fourier transformation <laughs> out there. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to focus in on the record. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can talk about, but um, the first and most obvious question, and I'm sure that you're really tired of of, of being asked about this, is oh god. You okay. made a record and <laughs> you only play on one track on the record. Oh, I was expecting um, a different question. Oh, you're expecting a different question. Very... Maybe we can get to the other question. <laughs> but, I'm um, relieved. <laughs> that, is, um, that is quite a statement for a debut album to be like, and I suppose that's part of, are you kind of profiling yourself as a composer in that instance? Like, is that the point of it? Um, what What was the... Like I, I think there's also a notion that it's it's quite a humble move to be like I'm not going to feature myself prominently as an instrumentalist. I'm going to you know uh, produce as a composer. Basically, um, can you tell me a bit about that? About the the why you why you decided to basically just write all this music and and have other people perform it for mm. you? You're definitely right in that I wanted to put myself forward as a composer, mm-hmm. but actually it was. Um, I was thinking I wanted uh, I wanted to make the most beautiful album that was within my reach, and um, Jeffrey is playing violin, and he used to be my teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy plays so much better than I do, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought he should play. <laughs> yeah, and I was very happy to sit in the room and uh, with my mic and uh, conducting the whole thing. And I was also recording it at the same time. So, and I was cooking for everybody, you know, and trying to make everybody feel very at home and comfortable. <laughs> so I, d- I was doing a lot at the same time. And although uh, it would have been nice to play on it, I was very happy Jeffrey did it and he did a way better job than I could have done. And um, I was also happy to have all the attention to. Uh, think about mm, this take sounded like this. I mean, you can look at it from a distance. Whereas if you would be inside of the the group, it's uh, more difficult to reflect on both the whole group and your own playing, which you would have to do. I really like to be outside of uh, the group in this way. And one very practical issue, the, um, we recorded in eSound and the control room was quite far away from the recording room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody knows. Yeah. They, I think they changed it by now, I'm not sure. Anyway, I, I would have had to run a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would have taken everybody out of the flow, obviously, if I... Sorry, wait for me, I'm going to run to the recording room now. Oh, no. <laughs> Get yeah, my violin. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Violinists already do... <laughs> Quite yeah. a lot of sniffing. <laughs> I didn't want to pant, be panting for breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, the the so I think what I'm interested in as as kind of a further question on that on that theme is a kind of a notion of control. Um, I feel like there is um, there's a sense of kind of relinquishing control of your material when you're allowing other people to perform it in that way, especially when you're dealing with stuff that is somewhat improvised. Um, and I wonder how much of that, like how, um, maybe it's the wrong way to put it to say like how much of a control freak are you in that instance? <laughs> like how, um, 
how comfortable are you with the idea? I mean, I know that, like, I feel as a performer, you can kind of, in the moment, push the music in the direction that you might want it to be and that kind of thing. Uh, how how comfortable are you with the idea of, like, I'm just going to give the material to these people, they're going to play it, and then see what happens? Um, I'm uh, 100% comfortable because I wrote the music for the people that are playing. So I wrote it specifically for these musicians. And um, they're amazing. And I was very curious what they would do with my compositions. So I was very happy about giving it away and seeing what happens. And I was very thrilled um, with everything they did with it. They went all the... We had so many different takes that they all were brilliant, but they were all completely different. And with just a few remarks, they could do so much. And... I absolutely loved it. And the funny thing was that there was even one song that is complete improvisation. Like I, I only wrote a couple of chords mm-hmm. and I was just waving my arms a bit. Like <laughs> that was that was all. <laughs> and there was one um, reporter for the uh, newspapers and he wrote, yeah, she's really a control freak. She really played safe. And I was like, wow, I gave like all control away. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I'm happy it sounds safe in a way if you yeah if you imagine the kind of risks i took some like some songs are completely arranged and some songs are nothing they're just yeah guys you know enjoy see you in 10 minutes <laughs> yeah that's interesting i mean i like the notion of like curiosity that you kind of mentioned there the idea of on the one hand you know that you're writing for these specific people so there's certain expect like you have certain expectations of what might happen but at the same time the kind of discovering the material afresh based on their input, I find that kind of an interesting um, kind of a, approach to, to music making. Maybe you can um, more specifically tell me about the people that are on the record and like who they are, why you chose them specifically. Um, and also maybe in a broader sense, the instrumentation, like there's a lot of back and forth between larger ensemble things and like kind of small, more intimate uh, kind of almost chamber pieces and stuff. Um, can you speak to the instrumentation and to the musicians specifically? Uh, yeah, definitely. But I'll, sorry, I'll start with the photographer. Oh, because, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. uh, that's how it all started, actually. There's a, a friend of mine, Marta Groen, who I worked for a lot. He owns a Doppler, this uh, commercial agency, mm-hmm. you know it. Yeah. And um, once he called me, he said, I made something beautiful in my spare time. It was a, a series of photos in the style of the film noir, like the existentialistic um, mm-hmm. uh, French style, black and white photography. And he said, would you like to make some music to it? And I thought it was one picture, but it was a series. And together it told some kind of story, but because there was no... Uh, dialogue or whatever you could use your own fantasy and I thought if these pictures are stills from a movie my music could be uh, fragments from a soundtrack Um, and then I decided to make a lot of short pieces like fragments and then I decided on having a lot of musicians so I could vary with the colors so some of the pictures are when everything is still going fine in the story and some you see some certain death approaching at some point in the series and then the music changes. So I have some very small chamber-like 
pieces and some pieces that are wild. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. And um, the musicians I picked, um, they're all people I like <laughs> to start with. <laughs> that that sounds stupid. <laughs> but uh, I, these are people that I like, but I also thought that they would like each other and there would be a good chemistry. And mostly you can hear that in the music. So Jeffrey is my old teacher. Ro is also my old teacher. Jörg is uh, an amazing cellist um, and also a bass player. So he is the one who gets the groove going in um, in the um, more classical pieces. Yeah. And then Tony, your uh, best friend, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> my colleague, Tony Lu. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he plays the piano. I'm, I, I've been a longtime fan of his playing he's such a he's crazy <laughs> he's yeah. this kind of extraterrestrial kind of guy uh, who can go all the way yeah like he's playing a lot and i invited some guests like uh, anton goudsmit we we've played together once and i like his energy he's um always 100 <laughs> percent yeah or actually he's 200 <laughs> percent i guess he talks a lot too and Jeroen Vierdag normally plays electric bass, but I saw him once on double bass and it had this really fat, nice tone and I decided to invite him. And Thomas Paul was just a... He wasn't that well known mm-hmm. by then, but I thought he was amazing. Definitely a rising star. I'm so happy that he gets the acknowledgement right now. Yeah, He deserves it. He's amazing. He's both a great classical player by now. He's a great bower. He plays so in tune and he has a great groove and he's a sweetheart. Mark on drums because Thomas played with him a lot. And um, who else do we have? We have a lot of more people. Yeah, I have some um, brass players. Kun from my city. I've known him forever. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Can always um, prepared. And Mark from Zandam. Sweetheart. Always great sound and... Oscar, I played with him in the Latin big band with Gerardo Rosales. And uh, it's I love this Latin style of playing. It's so loud and so precise. <laughs> <laughs> it gives a lot of energy. It's like, bah! it's so on point. So everybody has a different character. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I want to talk about that notion. I mean, you mentioned it in passing now, but the the other like striking thing about the record is the fact that it is 17 pieces that are kind of mostly between the one and three minute mark. Mm. Um, I guess that's also kind of an unusual format. Maybe it's, maybe that's not, uh, not as unusual as, as, as you might say, but like most jazz records certainly nowadays are like probably five or six tunes and, 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 and they allow for like longer, um, development in form and stuff, and and here we're dealing with kind of fragments. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, can you elaborate on what that was? I mean, it seems like the idea of fragmented story from the photographs and fragmented like soundtrack is kind of the parallel. But can, can you tell me a bit more about also what it means to re- to like to compose music that that has such kind of short arcs in in it yeah um well the fragment of soundtrack was definitely the uh, starting point and um i also thought i mean i listened to a lot of jazz and there's so many records 
with like theme solos theme there's so much of that and mm -hmm. i thought it wasn't necessary like the world didn't need another record like that so i decided to step away from it and then suddenly everything was so open i was like oh you could start with a solo or you could have no solo or you could have like 10 themes or you could i mean suddenly I was like oh so what would I do if everything was open? Oh, of course it's open because I'm <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that's what I did. And also sometimes uh, a song feels like it's finished. And why would you continue if it's if it feels like it's finished? So what I wanted to do is have an atmosphere going, like uh, create a very clear atmosphere. And when the atmosphere is clear, the song stops. <laughs> okay so that's what i try to do so every song has a different atmosphere at least that's what i try to achieve um and then they're like small dots yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i'm i'm interested in in kind of going maybe deeper into what your compositional process is actually like because i feel like that is like the was it the case that you decided, okay, this is a limitation that I'm going to create for myself, which is that these pieces are short and that they have to kind of, as soon as they've expressed what they have to express, that is it. Um, is that kind of a a notion that you have before you start writing anything? Or or do you discover that through the writing? Or like, what, what does it look like when you're composing? Do you sit at the piano? Do you like... Uh, there are many ways I compose. In this case, I decided to make short pieces. So that was... It didn't feel like a limitation at all. It felt like freedom mm -hmm. <laughs> because you don't have to make a door barking. Ah, oh, shit, I don't know the English word. Like you don't have to... Uh, sorry, my English stops <laughs> Your right English here. is perfect. <laughs> no, but um, um, that, that is interesting. I mean, to me, like the notion of like finding freedom within a limitation, like I don't consider a limitation to be a negative thing, right? Like mm, it's it's yeah, more yeah, like yeah. I have given a form to what I'm going to do and yeah. that kind of liberates you to instead of facing a blank canvas, you're now facing a like the limited area of a canvas. That Yeah, exactly. The limitation was very liberating. Yeah, and, and the, um, the way I compose, I compose in many ways. Um, often I have a melody in my head. I always have a voice recorder on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I will be recording random ideas, mostly at night when I wake up and then I have an idea. Sometimes I dream melodies and then I wake up and then I record them. <laughs> okay, cool. And um, then in the morning I open my recorder and then I see if I can make sense out of it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is not always the case. But I'm getting better at it. Like now I know I have to tap a rhythm. So at least I know at one what point in a measure song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because before that was like, hmm. <laughs> and I tried to sing a bass line as a reference. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, I have a melodic approach mostly to what I do. And then um, depending on the melody, I find out which kind of measure it would be. Like I, I guess I write a lot of odd meter music. But not because I want to write odd meter because it's hip, but because the melody demands it. Yeah. And then I sit behind a piano or guitar or bass or whatever, and I try to make some chords to it and write some bass lines. Mostly I start with bass lines and then I fill in. But sometimes I also write um, like a line. I, w I call it 
aleatoric principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what I call it. It's officially called the yeah, aleatoric sure. <laughs> principle. My apologies. And um, I surprise myself, for instance, by putting a um, capo duster on a guitar, and yeah. then you, or or change the tuning, for instance, and then it's like, oh. This sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes one of my favorite ways to compose is to try to play a, a very difficult piece on the piano, like a very difficult uh, piano piece at like a, a certain tempo, which is unfeasible for me because I cannot play the piano very well. <laughs> and then I fuck up and then I find something new and that's my starting point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, this sound, hmm, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, it's it's a it's a fairly common adage that kind of the notion of mistakes being golden, especially when we're talking about like improvised music, like yeah. the notion that if you repeat a mistake, it's no longer a mistake, but it's you know it's a feature rather than a bug. I suppose it's kind yeah. of the... yeah, and I, I I force mistakes to happen yeah. <laughs> sometimes. And so, when does like when does the notion of arrangement come into play? Because that's that's obviously a very integral part of what you do. And, and I mean, if you look at the record, we're dealing with a large ensemble that has very all kinds of moving parts to it. Like how, at what point do you know, okay, this is a piece where it's, there's a bass line and there's like a violin part versus this is like a full band thing. But like what, when does that come into play? Uh, that's the next part. So after... Having like the basic material, like a certain groove and a certain bass line, which um, tells you something about the harmony and then the melody. So you already have that and then I just fill it in. Mm-hmm. So I try to do that in one go. Um, so I get up early and it's the first thing I would do. And I would try to do it in one go without going to the restroom or eat or drink. <laughs> <laughs> It works the best because then it feels like it's very coherent. <laughs> yeah. No, fair enough. Um, I wonder, like, so you talk, there's like specific reference to film noir in in the, the record. Um, I wonder if there's any kind of specific influences in terms of like the, the music that comes from those films that you can point to that... Um, that serve as source of inspiration or like things that because it seems to me like there is obviously a film noir aesthetic to it but I don't know if it's just like kind of hey it's kind of Bernard Herrmann-ish or it's kind mm. of like I don't know if that's a that if if there was a sense of like stylistically this is what I'm doing and these are kind of like the shoulders that I'm standing on was there any thought for that? Um, I started uh, listening to a lot of music from that era and to a lot of movie uh, music, yeah, movie scores in mm-hmm. particular. And I guess I was inspired by that automatically because you get inspired by everything you take in. Um, and then I started making classical pieces, but then, yeah, it just took a different route at some point. So that's also why I decided to make an, a vinyl and have two sides. So one is more like the Bernard Herrmann kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and the other side is more, yeah, what is it? It's my own my own thing. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so kind of moving on from the record, obviously, mm-hmm. like that's that's been almost two years now, yep. um, or has been two years now. Um, you're now kind of um, performing a lot live, 
and playing your music live. I wonder what like what is the transition like from a process of getting in a room and making like 17 one to three minute pieces with people and 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 that kind of process that we just discussed like how does that transition into a live band what like what is that like are you playing completely different music than you were on that like how mm, i wasn't playing uh, planning on playing this live okay. <laughs> it sounds strange i know um i just wanted to make the record that's such a cliche answer, but I just uh, wanted to make something of my own because I've always been ghostwriting for other people. And when people ask me, what do you write? I had nothing to show them because I was always working, like everyday working and making mm-hmm. music for other people, which wasn't necessarily my style or for specific bands in specific formats. And then... It went well with the record. We got some nice reviews. And then suddenly I thought, "Hmm, maybe I should perform with this record. And then I thought, oh my God, we have 12 musicians. It's (laughs) such a pain in the ass to organize that. And it's not feasible. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Conflicting agendas and obviously the fact that uh, nobody's (laughs) going to pay you for 12 people. Nobody. Unless you're like Kamazi Washington, but I'm not, unfortunately. Um, So... I started with a small group and first I didn't play and then people said, why don't you play? And I thought, mm, good question, because I didn't play on the record. Mm. And then they asked me, would you like to play? And I was like, mm, yeah, I would like to play. <laughs> <laughs> so by now I'm playing, like I, I'm playing more and more and now I compose some new pieces. So I rearranged all the pieces of the record and I wrote some new uh, pieces, especially for this ensemble. And now we're performing live and it's going well. We did a tour this year and last weekend, oh, sorry, the podcast is two weeks from now, three weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we played on Norsi Jazz and before that on In Jazz. So it's going well. And now we have uh, a five piece band. Yeah. So we have drums, bass, piano, a saxophone and violin. And I like it. I'm, yeah, I'm going to keep it like this. Okay. And so like, are you... Is there, and maybe it's like too early to discuss this, is there a record that could, like that will come out of this? Yes. Um, I would expect that would be the answer. <laughs> but, uh, is there any details that you can give me around that? Is there any details at all at this point? Yeah, I, when I was trying to arrange a tour all by myself, uh, I was happily taking all the offers. I was like, you want to play there? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Koen Graad of uh, Verkade Fabriek, he... Uh, asked me for a jazz factory and he's such a nice guy. I was like, yeah, I definitely want to do it. Such a nice place. Mm-hmm. And then he said, okay, it's a one and a half hour. And I was like, oops, <laughs> because my record is 45 minutes and that's with t- 12 people. So yeah, I said yes. And then I hung up. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I need to be composing some new stuff. So I frantically started composing new tunes. So now I have a new record ready, but I need, <laughs> I mean, I need to record it still, but we are going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And can you tell me about the people that are in the live band? As, I mean, as far as I understand, it's kind of, it's obviously it's a different lineup because it's it's different instrumentation, but like um, who are the people that are playing with you live now and, and why those people, how did that come about? Um, the tour I did with uh, Jamie Pete on drums and uh, Tony Roux on piano and Thomas Paul on bass. So that was not so, so yeah, different. Yeah, that's kind of similar. And that was great. I mean, um, Tony and, and Jamie, they play uh, with you yeah, we, we. <laughs> a lot. So they are 
I mean, wow, they're one, they have one heart, you know, they're amazing. And Thomas Paul, I, we talked about him. Mm-hmm. So that was an amazing band and it was really wild. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. We we brought some electronic stuff and we freaked out. That was great. And mm-hmm. now I decided on having, uh, staying more true to my music, to my compositions. And now I'm playing with um, Mark van Kersbergen on drums again. And uh, Vincent Arp from my uh, my band Pierre les Optimistes, he's playing. He was in the same year as Xavi, mm-hmm. and on piano Xavi Torres, yeah. and um, on sax Kuhn, so same guy. Yeah. Uh, so we did in jazz and Norsi jazz with that band, and I guess we will be recording with these people. But I mean, I love James a lot and and Thomas and Tony. So maybe I'll have two bands. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so hard to choose between these amazing people. No, it's true. Well, I mean, it's a good place to be, I suppose. Oh, yeah, it's um, a luxury problem. Yeah. Um, I wonder, is is there any other stuff that you want to um, mention that we haven't touched upon? I mean, I, I know that you're very busy um, as a kind of side person and, and writing a lot of like arrangements for other people and all these kinds of things. I don't know if there's anything that we haven't touched upon that you think deserves mentioning mm. this is a terrible thing to ask because if now you don't mention somebody they might get offended <laughs> uh, what do you mean no i mean i'm uh what i i, I mean like what what are the other things that you're up to that ah uh, okay uh, well i have my band pierre des optimistes and we just made a record i wrote a lot of music for it and we're gonna release that in september mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to that it was a nice process of living in my house with all of us for a while, like uh, one big family. Okay. <laughs> and we survived, you know. I mean, I hid the cutleries, obviously, but we survived. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have a duo with a cellist, Hector Ervas. Mm-hmm. And I'm planning to write a lot of violin cello music from now on. Okay. That's going to be my main focus. And I'm ghostwriting for some people that I admire, but I have to keep it a secret. Yeah, you're not allowed to say that. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> well, um, if and when that is made public, hopefully people will find out. Yes, yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I wonder how, like, how much does that work feed into your, like, your own personal stuff? Like, I wonder, like, how how easy is it for you to kind of work under the auspice of like somebody else's project versus doing your own thing and how like do those things feed back and forth I suppose they probably do but I haven't given that much thought anyway if you write you learn new things mm-hmm. I guess so you keep developing and I guess the thing I learn most from is when I write a song for somebody and then I give it and then they perform it and they do something completely different with it and then I get new ideas of ah especially if I write for for instance I have two friends they're called uh, Sunshine's Got the Blues it's an Amsterdam duo with a bass player and a great singer Mm -hmm. and um, every time I get to know their voices better and that inspires me a lot to adapt next composition more to their uh, voices. I guess. Yeah. 
But I suppose like there, there's there's also a sense of relinquishing control there, which is interesting because like you don't think of the role of a composer as not being like not like completely dictating what is going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of an interesting notion. And I see the parallel obviously between your record and between like that kind of work, which is you're making a thing and then somebody else is going to perform it and mm-hmm. there's like um yeah. I love that when somebody gives me something like it happens to me a lot when uh, the people give me something to play on my violin and they've never touched a violin mm. and it's like sometimes very unnecessarily uh, hard to play like it, for instance it's not efficient yeah. or it has huge uh gaps like very low, very high, like yeah, things yeah. that are so difficult to do and it doesn't make it sound better. Yeah. So I always love to change, to be able and allowed to change just a small, couple of small things mm-hmm. to make it work better. So yeah. yeah, what you want is like minimum effort and maximum result. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's what you want, like to play something very impressive that will blow everybody away and then it's not that difficult to yeah. play. But. No, fair <laughs> enough. But at the on the other, I mean, I I don't know. I always enjoy the the quality that comes out of somebody struggling to perform something. Um, <laughs> You're cruel. <laughs> may, I suppose I am cruel, but I mean, I I do it to myself. Um, uh. <laughs> I find <laughs> I find it interesting. Like I I there's a sense of uh, yeah uh, that struggle is interesting to me. Like the that danger is interesting and that mm. risk is interesting. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, and of course, if you step away from things that are officially easy to write, you also step into a new world with things that will sound different because, yeah, well, automatically. I yeah, guess. sure. How is that something that's important to you? The notion of like sound things that sound different. Um, yes, I like that. I think it's been scientifically proven that people like a combination of. Uh, things they know and things they don't know. I guess it's true. Like if you would eat the same thing every day, you would get super bored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But if you would go to a country you've never been and there's nothing you can relate to, you will feel very lost. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I like a little different sound. There's, of course, if you would write for a violin, uh, it's nice to use open strings, but it's very obvious. So like all concertos would be in D or G. But, you know, you want to have something slightly different so you get a different vibe. Just because it's so slightly different, it feels different and it's like, oh, this is new. (laughs) Yeah, right. And then this is like a very easy example of just changing one parameter and then have already something completely different. Yeah. No, it's true. I suppose that harkens back to what you were saying about just randomly putting a carbo on a guitar and detuning it and seeing what happens. Kind yeah. Of. Um, <laughs> because then you get the similarity of like, well, I'm still performing on the same instrument with the same sound, but unpredictable things Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Uh, well, I always like to... Uh, I always like to end my shows by asking my guests to recommend something and it can be absolutely anything, um, something that you found particularly inspiring, something that you think people should give some attention to, just about anything that comes to mind. Yeah, it's going to be a very random one. 
Um, Those are the best ones. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Recently, I was in the train uh, reading a book, um, which is very unusual in 2019 because everybody is uh, watching his phone. <laughs> so is I was reading a book, like an analog book with yeah. paper and all. <laughs> and um, I was listening um, to music at the same time. And then the music became a soundtrack and I started looking for like the ultimate music to fit the book. Mm. And that was such a great experience. <laughs> so that's my uh, free, my tip for free. <laughs> yeah. So try to find music and books that that, that uh, match coincide. and then read them in the train. And then, you know, you'll have a, you'll have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting. So that, I mean, I find that really difficult. I find that reading and listening to music at the same time is somehow tapping into the same part of my brain and mm. therefore I'm just really distracted. But, um, but I guess you're saying that <laughs> that is something that you can do. Um, how is that something that's interesting, actually, like the notion of a soundtrack to a book, that's not really something that we, I suppose it's been done, probably. I like it, it. yeah, because it probably, like everything has been done, just... Yeah, Googling. sure, but that doesn't, <laughs> not, nothing immediately comes to mind. Um, I was thinking about it because uh, somebody gave me a book that he wrote and there was a very vivid description of the place that it took place, like the story took place in uh, a certain place. Mm -hmm. And I thought I really heard music and I was just looking for the right music to fit it. And actually I sent him the uh, the soundtrack afterwards and he really liked it. Like I, get, I, I sent him a track per chapter. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, Mieta, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. There'll be more music from Mieta in just a moment. Many thanks to my fellow members of Catrio for providing intro and outro music for the show. Please subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts. Leave a favorable review or rating wherever that may be. Tell a friend if you know anybody who might like to listen to these kinds of conversations. That is really the best way for me to expand the listenership and spread the word about all these great artists and their music. Go to patreon.com slash soundofmoment if you would like to make a donation to help me keep the show up and running. Even the smallest amount is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much to those of you who are already donating. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound of Moment page on Facebook and message me over there. Or you can email me at pat at soundofmoment.com. Finally, here is another track from Mieter van der Wetering. This one is called Morla. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be taking a summer break from the show this month. So there will be no new episodes uh, for the coming few weeks. But I expect to be back in September with another episode of Sound of the Moment.
Thank <laughs> you.